Jeff, Nick, and Mark began podcasting in the spring of 2020, year of the pandemic. Mark had never thought anyone would ever listen to this podcast. He was simply looking for a hobby to kill time during quarantine. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yet here he was, nearly a year later, podcasting in, in his garage next to a temperamental water heater that inevitably will interrupt and pause the podcast multiple times in the next two hours. <laughs> Coming up, we find out why how an iconic actor had to lecture another iconic actor on professionalism. Movie Tales. I'll have what she's having. Hosted by Mark, Jeff, and Nick. Round up the usual suspects. Three lifelong friends who all dropped out of film school because they all figured out they loved watching movies more than making them. Are you not entertained? Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. These cinephiles review and reveal widely unknown factoids, lore, myths, trivia, and cultural impact of the movie. Mostly funny. I'm your huckleberry. Sometimes serious. I'm going to make them an awful again with you. Definitely interesting insight into the best movies we only thought we knew. He's looking at you, kid. Mark, what are we watching this week? We are going back to 2001 and we are watching Wes Anderson's classic, The Royal Tenenbaums. And for those of you that haven't seen it, a quick recap for you from IMDb this week. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums is about three growing prodigies, all with a unique genius of some kind, and their mother are staying at the family household. Their father, Royal, had left them long ago and comes back to make things right with his family. The IMDb recap is sweet, simple, and short this week, boys. <laughs> I love that he came back to make things right with his family because he was broke and got kicked out of his house. Or his oh, hotel. for sure. For sure. <laughs> that recap definitely left some stuff out. It was very <laughs> short and sweet to the point, I guess. Yeah, I know. It definitely left. And I was broke, and I needed a place to stay. <laughs> <laughs> I like how he throws that in at the end. <laughs> but I'm going to live now. <laughs> Sorry, I've been drinking. Uh, <laughs> That's, That's okay. Mo- moment in time, Mark. Uh, you're up. So I definitely saw this movie in the theaters. I was a big fan of Rushmore, and when the I remember when the cast. I just remember seeing the preview. The movie looked weird, and the cast was just dynamite. So I was like, "Yeah, I want to see this movie." So I just remember walking out of the theater in a really good mood, and I was thinking to myself, "That was a, that was a fun little quirky movie." And here we are 20 years later, and I get to revisit it, and Wes Anderson just puts you in a good mood in this movie, and I <laughs> sometimes that's all you need, I guess, and, and I loved it. So it was a good rewatch, and it was good when I first saw it, but I, I definitely hadn't seen it in a while, so I'm glad we went to, back down memory lane. What about you, Nick? When did you see it? I actually want to go last, so let Jeff go. Because, oh, Jeff, when did you yeah. see it? All right. I saw this movie in the theaters when it came out, freshman year in college. It may have even been with you, Mark. I can't quite remember. What I do remember is I fucking hated this movie with a passion. You did hate it. I remember. You, you I thought it was slow, pretentious, and trying too hard. It was my first Wes Anderson film, and either I wasn't ready for it, wasn't in the right mood, or it was not quite what I was expecting. But for some reason, I just hated it. What since, about the rewatch? Since then, I have come to love Wes Anderson films. But not until I saw The Fantastic Mr. Fox and then Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom, both of which I loved. I have since seen Rushmore and liked it as well. But because of my violent reaction to my first viewing, I had not seen Royal Tenenbaum since. So I put it on the list this week uh, when it got selected. I had a strong suspicion that I would love it if I watched it. And I did. I watched it twice this week. Oh, um, good. I liked I'm it. so happy. On the rewatch, I actually liked it better than the even the second time. So I was so, telling Nick, I was telling Nick, I was worried that you weren't going to like it because I didn't hear from you on the text thread this week too yeah. much about the Tenenbaums. I was like, oh no, I think Hans still didn't like it. <laughs> no, I just quite. I was pretty busy, busy week at work and everything. No, so. no. So I'm happy you liked it. <laughs> Keep yeah. going. Uh, yeah, I uh, got into Wes Anderson actually um, thanks to my lovely wife. Uh, she loves Wes Anderson films. This is one of her favorite movies. And, uh, I mean, uh, in her words, she loves his quirky films and style. And I probably would not, yeah, have uh, uh, given this movie a second chance if it weren't for her because she took me to Fantastic Mr. Fox and then Moonrise Kingdom. 
like I said, and the rest is history. Nick, what about you? All right, all right, follow me here, boys. So I've only seen somebody laugh at a movie ridiculously and embarrassingly once, and it was at The Nutty Professor when I was a kid. And I thought it was ridiculous. The guy literally fell over, threw his glasses in the aisle. It was so stupid. And I always remember that because I only did that at one time in my movie watching history in the theater. And that was this movie, believe it or not, in 2001. I was with a new buddy, and there was one scene that just made me overlaugh and embarrass him for bringing me to the movie. <laughs> That's how bad it was. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you what scene it was until later, but that was like one cherished memory was. I remember walking out of the theater, and we were kind of comparing, and he kind of called me out a little bit. He's like, you kind of overlapped on that, man. Like, it was, it was a good scene, but like, <laughs> come on, you know? Like, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. Your friend felt embarrassed? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I hope I, you never went to the movies with him again. I, Screw we that did. Guy. We're still based to this day. Brian Bruns, what's up? I hope you remember this. <laughs> Have you been to any other movies with Brian? I mean, no. He lives in Poland now. He still comes <laughs> to Denver when he hangs out. But <laughs> You sent him to exile? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I didn't expect that was going to be your response. He lives in no. Poland. But all right, Brian. And I've always been self-conscious about overlaughing at movies since the Royal Tenenbaums. I'm not kidding. You can't make this shit up. It was the last movie they would ever see together. <laughs> he now lives in Poland in exile, embarrassed for his for ruining his movie going experience. You'll uh, I'll tell you what scene that was later. It, I like I'll, playing the narrator. I'll, I know. I'll get two scenes during favorite scenes because I'll tell you which one that was. But I, every time I wanted to laugh hard since then, I've kind of just held it in a little bit because he called me out after. So, but it was a great, oh it was a great my movie. Gosh. And get. I kind of forgot about it. I forgot how great it was. That happens in 20 years, right? Like, I wasn't that excited to watch it. And then I started watching it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. This is magical. Get right into it, Nick. What, what worked for you? Get right into it. I think the charming nature of Gene Hackman being a shitty dad, yet so charming, <laughs> is, is the heart of this movie. It really is. Like, his shittiness is so funny on so many levels. And to be able to laugh at that and then also see how, later on how much he damaged his family and then bring them all together full circle... It's like a three-part act, but I mean, there's... Honestly, I don't want to be shitty, but the funniest part was how shitty he was to his kids. I mean, there's a scene (laughs) where he he shoots Ben Stiller. (laughs) He just just betrays his son. He literally... clearly likes his other sons more than Ben Stiller. I mean, he literally tells his his daughter, who he always introduces as his adopted daughter, that he didn't really get the play. And... (laughs) <laughs> this is my adopted da- daughter, Margot Tenenbaum. <laughs> I tell you the truth, I didn't really get it. Whoa, it was just the a best. bunch of it was just a bunch of kids dressed up. <laughs> and then she leaves. She she leaves and she gives him his present back. She takes all her presents but his. I he love that. He was never invited to a party again. <laughs> So See, funny we are thing overlapping about, in. We're overlapping again. See, this is what this movie does to people. That's, funny that's, thing about Gene Hackman is he might not have been acting that much <laughs> because he was famously miserable on yeah. the set of this film. Yeah. Uh, are you serious? Oh, Wes, yeah. He, he wanted to punch Wes Anderson in the face. What's the quote, Mark? <laughs> Wes Anderson said that it was a movie written, the movie he never wanted that was written for him or something. Hey, so, so basically, Wes Anderson wanted... Well, he wanted Gene Wilder originally, but Gene Wilder was already retired. No, Gene Wilder was role. his second choice. Yeah. He, oh, okay. He, was he, it? He wanted. Right. He wrote this movie with Gene Hackman. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he told everyone we're going to get Gene Hackman. But I also knew that at he did some offer point, it to Gene Wilder when Gene Hackman um, turned it down the first time. Yeah, he offered it to Gene Wilder, who also turned it down. Gotcha. And then gotcha. it was it was set. Michael Caine was actually going to take it, and then at the last minute, Gene Hackman's agent convinced him to do it. That's funny. We'll get into Gene Hackman later. Yeah. We'll get into Gene Hackman later. But anyway, no, he was he was cantankerous and just angry the whole time he was there. It so much to a point that Bill Murray had to lecture him on the set about professionalism on a film set. Wow. Was, let's put, let's put it this way: Bill Murray was so protective of Wes Anderson that he would show up on his days off just to make sure he wasn't being bullied by Gene Hackman. <laughs> God. See, this is good stuff. I had no idea. That's Gene Hackman, he wins the Golden Globe for this film, and he doesn't even show up at the award ceremony to collect it. <laughs> you think he was just past his acting days, though? He didn't want to God, do it God, that's anymore? funny. And they gave him a Cecil B. DeMo- uh, Cecil B. DeMo- DeMille Award 
uh, like eight years later, the Golden Globes. You would have think they would have never given him that. After. Can't you see him just like walking around, being like, "I still don't get that movie and what everybody thought was so great about it." <laughs> and and also maybe this is why Bill Murray got called back to do every Wes Anderson movie in some maybe. tiny role, yeah, forever and ever. Wes is like, Bill Murray, you're my hero. You're my personal bodyguard. <laughs> yeah. I got a role for you. He might be just like a mentor for him, and like this feels like that kind of like mentor protection. Uh, what uh, what else worked for you guys? I have written down. Uh, couple of things the soundtrack is fantastic in this film yeah one the literally the cool thing about wes anderson is he has multiple ways he tells a movie mm-hmm. you can watch you can watch this film on silent the way the mise-en-scene is so freaking awesome in this movie uh and all of his movies there's everything everything on the screen is intentional and there for a reason i always think it's so like beautiful the way that like literally his films look like a painting and his use of color is just incredible. But you could watch this film on silent and still kind of understand what is what is going on. It's that well done. And you could also probably listen to the soundtrack as if it's a mixtape yeah. and get the feelings of the film. And I think it's so cool he uses different avenues to uh, tell it's this so, story. It's so unique. And as much as you say that, I think that you could also close your eyes and just listen to the movie and also comprehend it. Oh, yeah, the words on screen, 100% mod. Like, that's three different mediums he's using to tell a story, and they all, and somehow he blends them all together seamlessly. No, for sure. For sure. I love everything about the look and feel of this movie. The music, like you said, the music and the narrator might be part of the reason all of this works so magically for me. Alec Baldwin is a narrator. He's just perfect. It's almost like he's just reading a chapter book aloud to us. That's kind of the feel I got from it. And then regarding the music, I think they did a great job putting both the score and the soundtrack together. And a big shout out to Wes Anderson for deciding to add the Charlie Brown music in parts of this film. I fucking love that. And Margot's storyline might be my favorite of the three. But uh, the three-man team of Dusty, Pagoda, and Royal just works perfectly. Uh, I also had in my notes, Eli Cash is just, uh, his his oddness just works for me as well. Do you know who he had in mind when he wrote when he wrote that character? No, I didn't see. Uh, Corman McCarthy, uh, the right oh. the the No Country for Old Men uh, writer, uh, who's a very uh, interesting personality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Himself, so but that's sure. definitely he wrote. That's definitely who he had in mind when writing and, this. And I think of the three kids. I, I love all three of their storylines, and I think it, I'd argue that this is probably a top three film for all. Uh, for both or for all three of them Gwyneth Paltrow Luke Wilson and Ben Stiller Ooh, interesting but uh Margot's I I love Margot's storyline and I think Bill Murray probably has something to do with that we know how much I love Bill Murray we I think all of us do but at the end of the day I love the theme of family and how you shouldn't take having one for granted and I think that's the heart and soul of this movie at the end of the day so and I love that I love it I love a good comeback story and it it struck me as a (laughs) right like a a a rising back from like the fall and literally it's a redemption it's a redemption table for Jim Hackman's character yeah. and by the end of the movie he literally redeems himself with each one of these care which each one of his kids just a little bit and his ex-wife even and sure. Danny Glover right he's like I don't hate you I just oh, think yeah. you're kind of a son of a bitch uh-huh. <laughs> the, 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 the scene with Danny Glover yeah, yeah. The, the Danny Glover redemption scene Mr. Sherman <laughs> uh, Henry Henry Sherman's redemption from Royal at the end of the movie is great it's a great little moment now here's my question for you I wonder if Danny Glover was annoyed with Hackman's behavior on set and again they're not even really acting he's just like you're kind of a son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> that was as good that's like man talk right that's as good as it's gonna yeah, that's what we're going to get about talking about feelings. Let's talk about it. Favorite scenes, Nick. What you got? I love your guys' scenes, but I, uh, I'm going to choose the one where Margot Tenenbaum is going. She's going through all of her love story history, basically, and it's where a the, montage where the PI reveals her her backstory. Yeah, and okay. you got the Ramones playing. I don't even actually know if that's Ramones. But... How big would the fi- how big would the file on you, Nico, be if somebody revealed your backstory? <laughs> no, right. That's a good that's question. A good, that's a midnight pondering, right? Way there. to call me out. Yeah, <laughs> I I it was just was not, was so... I was not shocked that was your favorite scene. He's What's I love saying? the end of it. Bill Murray's now had all this revealed, and he's like. So she smokes. <laughs> she smokes. One of the greatest lines. <laughs> After she was like making out, making love to the most disgusting, you know, like guys with 
pierced, pierced cheeks and like a new guinea and like <laughs> she just said what's so funny about that scene is she has such a classic taste right she wasn't chasing like tall dark handsome men she was chasing the most obscure men on the planet and it was just so fucking funny how she's she's so good that. in this i love like i said i love her storyline well, something it about sense. it she, just works she grew up very classically so it makes sense that like and it and it obviously didn't work for her. She didn't feel that sense of family and welcoming and love that she could have had. So she literally seeked it out in all the far corners of the earth. Ah. Everything from a tribe to... And th- I mean, that's literally her reaction. And how does she end up with a Bill Murray character? I mean, that guy's he's older. safe. A yeah. father. A father figure. That's what ah, she's looking for. Dude. And she you're doesn't... Totally right. You're totally right. She doesn't need him anymore once she gets her real father back. And that's why yeah. she's able to move on to the real love of her life, which is her brother. Um, that's fucking <laughs> genius. No, I, how did I, I just watched that today. I didn't catch that. I mean, you're on a deeper level than me, clearly. Jeff, Jeff did a double rewatch. He had a good week with the Royals. That I, makes I, perfect sense to me, Jeff. I'm not fucking kidding. That's great. No, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's spot on, to be honest. My I mean, favorite. As, and as deep as, I, as deep as I can get with this movie, <laughs> my... My favorite, my favorite scene uh, is actually just when the uh, Gene Hackman takes the grandkids out and you have the montage of them stealing from the convenience yeah. store, going to dogfighting, froggering across the street. And I was, but the funny thing is, is he gives those kids exactly what they need. Those kids were in such a sheltered, structured lifestyle uh, because of what Chaz is dealing with. He knows what they need is a little bit of fun and a little bit of rebellion. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, uh, this the son of a bitch that is uh, Royal Tenenbaum. <laughs> Not for the, those grandkids. That's pappy, buddy. Is the perfect pappy for those grandkids. <laughs> he, he takes them to like the cockfight. The dog fights. The dog fights. And it's uh, only Wes Anderson could make a dog fighting scene uh, acceptable. And I get guess. away with it. I, I, I was thinking that too. I was like, "How does like, uh, brilliant, brilliant?" Maybe that's why he redeemed himself with the Isle of Dogs. Maybe he felt bad. <laughs> Mark, Mark, what's your, uh, what's your favorite scene? Uh, so, well, I love the opening "Hey Jude" montage when we see when we learn about the genius of the three kids and we see the kid versions of them all, and then I love how we see their adult versions wearing almost the identical costume that they wore as a kid. For the whole movie, but I love that payoff as well. But outside of that opening Hey Jude montage, I love the showdown between Royal and Mr. Sherman in the kitchen. When he when Royal tries to kick him out of his house, it's not his house anymore. Yeah. And it's just you know, he mutters under his breath, Are you trying to steal my woman? <laughs> <laughs> and Danny Glover's like, I beg your pardon. Yeah. And he he's calls still, him he proper. calls him he yeah. calls him Coltrane. <laughs> you <laughs> Did you just call me Coltrane? No. But what if I did? You wouldn't be able to do anything about it. I just love I love when he tells he says, Get out of my house. He's like, oh, It's yeah. not your house. Oh, yeah. Don't don't talk to me about semantics. Well, the best is at the end he just he just goes straight racist on Danny Glover because he doesn't know anything else to do. And he you know, he calls him out, you want to talk some jive, I'll talk some jive. And then Angelica Houston shows up and they both just squash it immediately. That's the funny part of the the end of that scene is they they both don't want to piss her off, so they just pretend like nothing happened. I just love how it just exactly abruptly your, it abruptly ends as fast as it started. So it's just a great moment in the middle of the movie. Which is exactly how that would go down if you were fighting, basically fighting over a, a girl. Yeah, the, for minute, sure. the minute she showed up, you would both like both people would like retreat. It it as hyper accelerated or whatever he makes all these uh, and these characters he really captures truth like so like brilliantly it's so interesting how he's able to do that we guys yeah. we ready for we ready for quotes or are we no, uh, well, we are scenes? but i want to know that scene nico what's the scene that you laugh too hard in well so yes. my two favorite scenes uh so the scene was when pagoda stabbed him after after he got exposed <laughs> after, right after your scene that'll after, be the last time you, you ever stab me <laughs> you laughed too hard you 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 made you had uncomfortable laughter during that after after henry sherman exposed i mean that's the thing like him calling him coltrane and stuff he should have played his cards right he really should have royal should have like played him softly and, and slowly edged him out of the house right or he got his woman back but he had to call him out and that he got exposed because of it and then because of that 
Henry Sherman exposed him, and it was, and he got kicked out of the house, and then Pagoda stabbed him. But yeah, that was the scene, I and it was just so unexpected. And Pagoda's like, Pagoda's, you'll see, man. I'll talk about him in metals. Pagoda's metal worthy. Let's just put it that way. I'm well, you know, him. Wes Anderson puts him in all of his movies, right? I did not know that. Pagoda's in all his movies. Yes, Pagoda has a small bit in all of Wes <laughs> Anderson's movies. Just so you know. I wonder if, like, I wonder if that means Bill Murray and Pagoda have like this, like, but this like secret friendship. <laughs> or not secret friendship, because they've obviously spent a lot of time together. I mean, there's so many brilliant Pagoda scenes in this, but I'll get to that in metal. Yeah, but. and just for those listening, Pagoda is played by Kumar Palana, and Anderson, uh, he's given him a part in each of his movies, with the exception of The Life Aquatic. And he used to work at Wes Anderson's favorite coffee shop in Dallas, Texas. That's what, that's how <laughs> they know each did. other. Of course he did. <laughs> that is that is the most Wes Anderson thing ever. <laughs> that's it's perfect. So Pagoda the coffee the coffee worker is in, in all of Wes Anderson's movies. All right, on to quotes, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So I'm gonna start quotes because uh, there's and I left it out of I just wanted to talk about the dogfighting and the uh, stealing from the uh, convenience store I wanted to talk about that scene but uh, really the I have a quote here that I feel is the heart and thesis of this entire film Ooh. and yeah. it's Whoa. at the very end when he gives the dog to Chaz the Dalmatian and Chaz leans up and says I've had a rough year dad and Royal leans down and says, I know you have, Chazzy. And basically that that's each one of the kids has this moment with Royal, but that's the best exemplified. Chaz finally got that kind of loving reaction or felt love from his father that he was never able to feel before. Yeah. And to put it in context for those for those listening. Uh, consider Royal tells Chaz's grand Chaz's kids in the beginning when he first sees them that he's sorry for their loss. Your mother was a terribly attractive, attractive woman. woman. <laughs> that is a great quote. My, so that was on my. <laughs> so I'm glad that you brought up the whole full circle moment that he did have with Chaz. So good, good moment there, Jeff. Yeah, no, and I just I thought that that was the heart of it. Literally, that's what they're all looking for was something from their dad, mm-hmm. and they each get that moment. And I thought for that sure. line exemplified that the best. But there's yeah. this movie. We're going to stay on lines a little bit here, quotes, because this movie just has so many good ones. What do you got, Nick? Well, I had the one you just got. Uh, Mark just said about your, your mother was a terribly attractive woman. But I also like, uh, Ethel, I'm dying, baby. I'm sick as a dog. I'll be dead in six weeks. Because backstory on that, I texted Mike and Jesse today, our high school buddies, saying that Royal Tenenbaum was just like Steve, who lives in Vegas, Mark, is Jesse's yeah. father-in-law, because we know a real-life Royal Tenenbaum, and I just had to point that out. So they went and rewatched it, and they were pointing out lines all day, and those were the two favorite lines that they came up with. So, I just thought that was special. Okay, so that's funny. That, so I'm just going to bring up my midnight pondering here. Uh, do it. Uh, are, are Frank Gallagher and Roy, Royal Tenenbaum related? Because I know you like to compare Royal Tenenbaum to Steve right there. Yeah. But I feel like Frank Gallagher, I feel like William H. Macy stole a lot of what he does with Frank Gallagher and Shameless from okay. what Gene Hackman did in this movie. Oh, I don't see the comparison. Truthfully, I don't. But uh, Oh, wow. Are you a Shameless fan? No, I've never seen that show, really. Well, I mean, then you wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see that comparison think, at all. I think I watched it in like Frank 2010, 2011. Is that show still on? <laughs> yeah, well, no, they've it's... only done like 12 seasons. But yes, it's totally... Han, do you see the? Do you see what I'm talking about? with the? I've only watched a partial of a season. Okay. I, I, it's on my list. So, so it's one of my take. Well, no, for, uh, William H Macy. The, he's just like a scammer. Scene. He's just like yeah. a scammer, and that's totally what uh, what Gene Hackman is in this movie. And I just love it. But anyways, keep going. So I I I have. Uh, why did you try to kill yourself? I wrote I wrote a suicide note. You did? Yeah, right after I regained consciousness. Can we read it? <laughs> no. Well, can you paraphrase it for us? <laughs> I don't think so. Is it dark? Of course, it's dark. It's a suicide note. This movie just has great... He just does dark humor so good. Yes. I love the when Royal says, anybody interested in grabbing a couple of burgers and hitting the cemetery? <laughs> like, oh, let's just go hit the cemetery and say hi to everybody that's dead. It's just, And then he forgets that Chaz's wife is buried there at that one moment, and you're just like, oh my God, what next? What next? We already talked about, well, what'd you think, Dad? 
didn't seem believable to me. <laughs> well, do you at least think the characters were well developed? What characters? This is a bunch of little kids dressed up in animal costumes. <laughs> oh yeah, she's he's so such good. an asshole. It's he's so... such a prick. He's such a prick. <laughs> and her face, because uh, Margot's so it's like a kid genius, just knows this. What, what she's like smarter than him, right? Like how tacky his behavior is. I, that's what I love about that scene. Yeah, we can't forget for... Eli. Why would a reviewer make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you especially <laughs> think I'm not a genius? You didn't even have to think about it, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Eli's got some good moments. I love the scene with Eli and, and Margo when they decide to break it off. And he's, let's not make this harder than it, than it already is. Okay. <laughs> Quit belittling <laughs> me. <laughs> Is you didn't start hard. liking me until I got good reviews. Your reviews were never that good. <laughs> I got one more. I got to talk about the, the divorce. When he announces they're getting divorced and Margot says, is it our fault? No, no. But obviously we made certain sacrifices as a result of having children. I love it. I love it. I, I, just, I, I love the, did you guys catch what he had him write on his epitaph at the end? Oh, did he no. say the sinking? Yeah, that did. It the died tragically. It, res- de- on his tombstone, it said, "Died tragically rescuing his family from the wreckage oh, of a I destroyed yeah, the sinking yeah. battleship." Which is awesome because it works on multiple levels. On For one sure. level, it's just ridiculous because that's something that Royal would write. But on the other level, he did really rescue them from a sinking ship, which was their family. That's why it's great. It's a oh. Great I thought that was totally made up. I totally didn't catch that, Jeff. No, it's just Wes Anderson. He's, he's clever. And, yeah, and he's clever as hell. I, he, I didn't he, even catch that. He sure is. And I love the line with Margo when Richie sneaks into the tent. And he's just, you know, he's left the hospital, and she just says, "Finally, I think we're just going to have to be secretly in love with each other and, <laughs> yeah. and, and leave it at that, Richie." <laughs> I think it's a good way of that storyline just ending. I think it makes everybody okay. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Gene Hackman even piles on there when he talks to him about it, and he says, it's still frowned upon, but then again, is it everything these days? <laughs> yeah, uh, that, was, that was actually good fatherly advice. What I, I agree. No, he, he really redeems himself. He becomes a great father at the end. That's why it's such a great redemption tale. What didn't work? Oh, he's great. I love when he calls her out, when he calls Margo out for cheating on Bill Murray with, <laughs> with Eli Cash. It's an awful thing to do to somebody. <laughs> you don't, even, you don't even know him. He's totally Steven Vegas. Oh, one more, okay, one more line. I got his wind. Margo's in the bathtub, and her mom tells her that Jazz is moving back in. And she's like, wait, why is he allowed to do that? And the next thing we see, her bags are packed. <laughs> she didn't realize she could move home at any time. It's, oh, God. All right, Nick, I'm going to let you start with what didn't work, because I have a feeling you have a few things. Boo! 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 I just have one. It's really the use of Owen Wilson. He's the weakest character in this movie. He's the weakest actor in this movie. I feel like he got to act in it because he's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies, including Bottle Rocket, but also... Oh, and he co-wrote he, the script. Yeah. You know he wrote it, right? I did, I did. That was in my Things You May Have Missed, but this is the third, third movie they wrote together. I just... He wasn't good, and all apologies to anybody that might offend, but it's, it's, it's how I feel, you know? He wasn't really relevant until the very end when we found out he was having an affair with Margot. Otherwise, he was completely worthless. So, I know he wasn't a Tenenbaum child or anything, but it was just... Uh, I, it's I funny. Owen, I didn't hate Owen Wilson. I didn't mind him at all. Really? Yeah, but that's okay. I didn't. It's, yeah. Mark, what you got? To be honest, I didn't really have anything. I wasn't too nitpicky with this. Like I said, it's just kind of a fun, quirky movie. And I, I have another Midnight Pondering we'll get into later. But it's a question for you guys, so we'll get to it later. So I don't know. I don't have anything that really didn't stand out as not working for me. What about you, yeah, Jeff? What? Were- no, nah, there wasn't too much for me. It's the thing about Wes Anderson is he's such a like intentional filmmaker i'm guessing you either love wes anderson or you hate him uh and i would agree with that kind of like um what's his name baz lerman it's yeah it's hard to pick out things that don't work because he's so intentional on everything that most of it works if you like the way he does things and yeah don't have a lot of some of the racist language didn't age well maybe 
uh but it was that's 20 years ago too and we're in more uh different times now but uh career corner uh you want to talk about gene hackman first or you want me to go wes anderson mark no, I do. Yeah, sure. Let's jump in about Gene Hackman. So I was texting with you guys this week, and rewatching this movie made me realize how much I love Gene Hackman and how how underrated I think Gene Hackman is. And I don't know if you guys agree or disagree or not. We didn't get into that at all. But I feel like Gene Hackman is kind of underappreciated when it comes to Hollywood lore. And a lot of so, great performances. For, I love those, him in Hoosiers. Love him in so, Hoosiers. So for those that, for a little background on Gene, he, he lied about his age to join the military when he was 16. And he put four years into that. And then he comes out of the military and he uses his GI Bill to get into acting right away. And he joins the Pasadena Playhouse, to which he immediately drops out and moves to New York. However, while he was there, he meets one of his best friends for life, Dustin Hoffman. Oh, and to the point where Dustin Hoffman comes to New York after finishing his training at the Pasadena Playhouse, the two of them room together in New York at Hackman's one-bedroom apartment on 2nd Avenue. Hoffman sleeps on the kitchen floor. Originally, Hackman has offered to let him stay a few nights, but Hoffman would never leave. So Hackman literally had to take him around town to help him find an apartment. <laughs> and as roommates, when they were living together, the two of them, they'd go up into the rooftop and they'd play the drums. Hoffman played the bongo drums while Hackman played the conga drums. And they did this for their love of Marlon Brando, which I just thought this was just such an awesome Hollywood story. Yeah, And they heard... Because Marlon Brando used to play music in clubs. And so they wanted to be like Marlon Brando and they were big fans of his. But... So Gene Hackman gets a late start into acting. He he works just a bunch of jobs in New York City while he's trying to become an actor. And finally, he gets his break in Bonnie and Clyde in the 60s. And from there, he goes on to just home runs after home runs for the next five decades. In the 70s, we get The Conversation, The French Connection, Young Frankenstein, and Superman. In the 80s, we get Hoosiers, Reds, and Mississippi Burning. In the 90s, we get Unforgiven, Crimson Tide, The Firm, Enemy of the State. And then in the early 2000s, he does five more years of acting, and he finally retires in 2005, but he did The Replacements, Tenenbaums, and The Heartbreakers. So he did pretty much all comedies to end his career. But he just delivered hits for five decades, you guys. It's a big deal. And I, you know, and what's as good of movies he did, he also turned down some really great things. He he turned down the role in Close to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He turned down Indiana Jones. He turned down a role in Jaws. He was also the first choice to play Hannibal Lecter, and he was also offered the chance to direct Silence of the Lambs in 91, which I just thought was nuts. And then the last note I have about Hoffman, he was also really good friends with Robert Duvall early on, and when Robert Duvall needed money years ago, Gene Hackman gave him his last $300 that he wow. had to help fix his broken pelvis. Wow. Yeah. I've got a he's great... won two. He's won two Oscars, and his range was limitless, but... You know, at the end of the day, do we give him enough credit? I don't know. I feel like I'm going to give him more after this deep dive I've done on Gene Hackman. I think, I think so. that's a great point. Can I add one more French guy? Guy had some cool friendships. Can I add one? Yeah, more Yeah, yeah. What else you got? Story? Yeah, for sure. But yeah. So he's sure. really, really good friends with Jack Del Rio, former. <laughs> the, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the Jack, uh, yeah. Jacksonville yeah. Jaguars. Oh, yeah. I read this. So yeah. weird. To the yeah, point he used where to he go- attended nearly every single Jacksonville home game. While Del Rio was the head coach. <laughs> For sure. And he lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So that's a big deal to just yeah. all, go to Jacksonville all the time for these games. But yeah, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a cool note. So uh, we, we good on Gene? Yeah. Jeff, let's talk a little bit about Wes Anderson. I know you've got some notes on Wes, so let's jump right in. Absolutely. Uh, well, the cool thing about this movie is it almost feels like the end of a trilogy for him. Uh, there, you can almost break Wes Anderson's career into two different segments. The first segment, uh, being this film, uh, this film was the end of it with, uh, starting with Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, and then this one, it's kind of his adolescence and kind of like there's similar themes in all three movies. Okay. And then, uh, really just great run. Then he does some makes some interesting choices. I'm not going to say they were bad choices, but just different. I've never seen Life of Aquatic. Is it you seen that, Mark? 
He has about three or four movies I have not seen. Life Aquatic is one of them. And so Darjean not, Limited, I'm guessing that's I have, another I one you have seen not seen. Either, either. I've so seen we, both of those. So both are underwhelming. Bottle Rocket to Royal Tenen, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums. That's 96 to 2001. Then he kind of has that mid-career and not much happens. But then he comes back in 2009 with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Follows it up with in 2012 with Moonrise Kingdom. And then Grand Buda, Budapest Hotel, which was nominated for the Oscar. And many consider his masterpiece. I actually like Moonrise Kingdom and Tenenbaums better than Grand Budapest. But he kind of has... And he kind of had in, like two trilogies. So I've seen uh, all three of those. All three of those are great too. And yeah, I I love all three of those as well. Uh, and then he's kind of in another another period. Although I have not seen Isle of Dogs. Neither uh, have I. And I should. I'm a dog person. The French Dispatch. So, but it's interesting that he kind of had that lull in the middle, and then he kind of had like almost two trilogies. And I I felt similar themes, like Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, and Grand Buda- Budapest felt like more of his grown-up trilogy. Whereas, okay. like, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, and Tenenbaums, kind of his adolescent teenage trilogy. Anyway, it's my thoughts as a film critic, and that's my thoughts on Wes Anderson. God, I gotta be real here. I am not a Wes Anderson fan at all, which makes this movie even more special, because this Is this the brilliant. only one you... Is this the this only Wes Anderson film you like? This is the only one, man, and I've seen them all. I've seen all those ones that you guys just mentioned that... Yeah, they just go downhill from here. And so Grand wait, so you was, didn't like, best, you didn't like Grand movie? Budapest... Hold on, hold yeah. on. Let's yes, it is. Hold yes, on. it is. Hold on. Hold on. Mark. <laughs> I'm okay. If, I'm back. okay. If, I'm okay if you if you want to think Tenenbaums is the best movie because I'm okay with that. That's fine. But you didn't like Grand Budapest Hotel. It was okay. So yeah, if I had to rank his top three movies, you put a gun in my head. Yeah, it would be this. It would be the Grand Budapest Hotel. It would be Rushmore. And you didn't like Moonrise Kingdom. No. I'll oh, see Moonrise Kingdom. And you didn't like Fantastic Mr. Fox. No. Even wow. the one about dogs. No, 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 no. Wow. He's just not I, my kind of guy, that, which, which makes this movie even more special. And so he's got this new good. movie coming out that he finished called The French Dispatch. That's not out yet. You know, and, and I realize I'm more of a story guy, and I get what Jeff was saying early in the pod about his use of art and his use of music, and we'll get into that later too, but I appreciate that. But as far as an overall enjoyable movie to watch, I don't enjoy rewatching him just for those purposes. And I think he kind wow. of falls short sometimes. Being Man, over-creative. He a, he's over-creative. He's creative. He's 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 outsmarting himself in a way. You know. His next movie, you guys. The cast is just unreal. It beats the cast for this movie. Oh <laughs> really? That's incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah. Francis McDormand, Adrian Brody, Christoph Waltz, Del Toro, Owen Wilson, Bill Murray, Timothy Chalamet. Oh boy. Elizabeth Moss. I Edward didn't know Norton. Del Toro was well known enough to just have his last name shouted. I like. Everybody that knows Benicio for crying out loud. <laughs> Excess baggage, baby. <laughs> Jesus. Excess baggage. Let's see this guy. <laughs> so, Mark, question. is uh, Before we move on to medals, is this his best movie? Tenenbaums? Um, yeah, sure. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, I think, it this definitely and, is. I think this and Grand Budapest are both fantastic. I need- but I really like Moonrise and I really like Rushmore. So. Yeah. I'm really disappointed to hear that Nick doesn't like Wes Anderson, to be honest, because I like I most of his movies I've that. seen. I, well, he's. I was very surprised because Nick chose Royal Tenenbaum. So if, if before that, I wasn't actually sure that Nick was going to choose it because I could have totally seen Nick not being a Wes Anderson guy. But once he, what fascinates me is that he likes Tenenbaums and he doesn't like any of the rest. Yeah, like, that's so true. That's so, that's very interesting. I would uh, not. Rewatch a single one of the other one movies, except for this one. Before I declare wow. Tenenbaums his best, I'd have to rewatch Moonrise Kingdom. Um, I, I mean, that's the movie that I really loved from the beginning, the first time I watched it. Uh, so you know, Tenenbaums kind of had a second life for me. So I'd have to to compare the two. I think I'd have to to be fairly. I'd have to rewatch Moonrise Kingdom, but it'd be between those two. I actually think I like Rushmore a little bit better than Grand than better than Grand Budapest as well. Yeah. Uh, but everybody loves Grand Budapest. That's most people's favorite for him. Moving on, Metal Stand. Mark, let's have you go first this week. Honorable mentions. <laughs> Jesus. Is there Alec a Baldwin. It's a cheap way to get five medals in. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Marks? That's right. You know, <laughs> shut up. You're just going to have to deal with it. Alec Baldwin, our narrator, gets an honorable mention. And so does Gwyneth Paltrow. So, yes, I'm giving so five does, awards. Uh, my, bronze metal, my bronze medal goes to the music. The, the soundtrack and the score, they just they, they really drive the story for me. 
and I, I wanted to give it a medal because the music is that good in this movie. My silver medal goes to Gene Hackman. Obviously, you heard my love letter uh, previously to about Gene Hackman, so enough said of there. And my gold medal goes to Wes Anderson. He put this little quirky little family movie together, and we'll get into my midnight pondering about it in momentarily. <laughs> now he has me question myself. I'm now I'm question. I had my medal set. Now he's messed it up. Oh this boy! Then Jeff, 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 jump in with medals so Nick can get his medals together. Can yeah, can <laughs> yeah. He's, he's re he's re-engraving right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> all right. My bronze goes to Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, I'm so happy you did that. Okay. My favorite of the of the kids. She uh, is too for you. Uh, well, actually, mine it's probably Chaz, but I like her performance the best. Oh, good. I'm so glad that you said that. All right, I, keep going. I'd like. I Chaz's arc I enjoy more than hers, but I like her character the best. I of all the characters, hers would be the one I'd like to watch a spin-off about. Uh which I think you could make some great spin-offs on this uh, of this movie. Uh anyway, she's the bronze. I think this is one of her best performances. Uh Silver goes to Gene Hackman. I love the idea that one of his like greatest performances was a movie he did not want to do and Nobody's quite sure if he even enjoyed doing it or even likes it at this point, but he completely nails it. Uh, he's perp- He's almost the perfect foil for a Wes Anderson movie. He almost doesn't quite belong in it, uh, and that's that makes it work that much better. And the gold has to go to Wes Anderson. It's uh, He's a true auteur in that sense. Uh, every one of his movies has every one of his fingerprints all over it. And he nails it. I sorry I missed it the first time. I missed your point the first time, Wes. I'm glad I got to. I got a second chance to uh, redeem myself. That's why we do this, people. That's why we do this, so we can remind you that sometimes we make mistakes too. Let's go, Nico. Did you figure this out? I did. I got it. I got it, baby. Um, All right. Since you're doing honorable mentions, I am going to give an honorable mention. Good. It's about time you guys step up and give some more damn awards out. You know how many Oscars they give out every year. What's wrong with giving an extra love here? Let's go. I think Gwyneth Paltrow is an honorable mention for sure. I mean, she's beautiful. She's just a great acting. I mean, she doesn't really act anymore unless it's in a Marvel movie. It really is. You know? Like unless the, she's playing uh, you're, stepping on, you're stepping on my unless midnight pondering, which is yeah. She's playing Pepper pond. Potts, poor Pepper. No, I mean, seriously, she's got it. She's got it dialed in. They're like, you want to make a ton of money doing a Marvel movie? She's like, yeah, I'm in. I'm a mom. You know, now, right? you know who would be? Pre- she has a lot of goop to sell. You know yeah. who would be proud of that? Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman started basing his roles. This is something I forgot to mention about about Gene. He literally based his choices off of how much money he would get. Which because, is, it's so important uh, that you pointed that out. It's a business decision. Mark, but here's the thing. It's so important it, that you pointed that out. Okay, because that goes right. But, the story we told earlier, I forgot that. Okay, so hold on. Keep going, Mark. So, so hold on. So in the mo- in the 70s, he was so proud. He's so proud of this movie. I forgot to mention it in his films, and it's because I've never seen it, and I want to go back and rewatch it. He did this movie with Al Pacino called Scarecrow, where they play homeless guys, I think, in San Francisco. And have either of you guys ever seen this movie? No, I've never even heard of it. Either did I. Okay. So, and that's, that's what made him choose movies that would make money, because he was so proud of this movie, and then nobody saw it. And this is one of his, like, favorite roles that he's ever done, and... Nobody saw it. It never made any money. So he he was so he was so disappointed that you know nobody appreciated it, and he swore up and down that he would start making decisions based on (laughs) if if this movie's going to be successful at the box office and he if he can make some money off of it. So I just thought that was funny. But I think think that makes actors good though. Yeah, I don't think going on that note though about like basing his choices on how much he makes or that kind of thing, right? That is one of the main reasons he had such a resistance to doing Royal Tenenbaums, because in order to make a movie with this many movie stars, they had to pay him all at scale. Right, and what, yeah. that, what that means is basically just the SAG actor rate when you pay mm-hmm. somebody at scale, so literally just the minimum that they have to pay him. Or they get royalties, though, based right? Based on how long. Yeah, yeah. It's the SAG actor rate. Like It's, the, it's basically the minimum for how long they've been in the guild how long they've been acting and all of that so he paid now it worked better for all of the other actors in this film because every other actor was there for at the the most 10 days i think gwyneth paltrow was only there for like three days just what just like all of her scenes were shown three days or three or four (laughs) anyway i gotta finish my story on gene hackman but anyway he had to be he had to be there 
the entire time when all the rest of the actors got to fly in and out in a matter of days. He was resenting him. He was the maddest, and he was the one that was the maddest about being paid at scale. So, since you motherfuckers missed it, I'm going to give Pagoda the silver. The, the bronze, I, already gave, the bronze. I already gave Pagoda his love. I told you <laughs> something you didn't even know about Pagoda. So, Pagoda was so good at, like, he had all these tiny moments where he was just in the frame doing nothing, but it was just such a good use for him. When so was, was Dusty. Dusty, too. <laughs> Dusty playing the doctor, the pretend yeah. doctor, is such a good moment. <laughs> and then we find out later that he's an elevator attendant. Just oh, like... yeah. And he get, like, like he pulls out the beeper, and he's, you're reading the beeper page, and you're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is so good, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, so the the fake doctor in the movie ends up being the elevator attendant, and yeah, it's just such a good setup that it's got to pay off later on. But Pagoda in their fake hospital setup, he's just wearing a, a mask that we have to wear now during the pandemic every day of our lives, everywhere we go. Pagoda's just wearing a doctor's mask, and he's overlooking <laughs> the machine. He was he was so good, and the story of him stabbing him wherever they were overseas, and then dragging his body to save him, I just. <laughs> Because there was a bounty out on him. <laughs> this is the last. This is the last time you stabbed me. <laughs> it's like his best friend and his bitch all mixed in and one. Like seriously, those scenes. Were, I mean, well, I love that. The- <laughs> I love that. Like the scenes when he's like getting, instead of getting the bags, he runs into the house real quick to like, to go talk to go talk to. Royal, because he's spying on him for Royal. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the game closet? <laughs> As a Wait, I love yeah. those scenes in the game closet. When they're secretly drinking. I mean, that's another great pagoda scene. They're literally, he's drinking with Gene Hackman in the closet. A guy who's, pretend, who's fake pretending to have cancer. He's just having a, a martini with him in the closet. It was so just, funny. Or Ben Stiller pulls the, turns the light out on him when he's in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Silver. Silver. Medals. No, I you know. Back to my medals. I'm on to it. Uh, Silver's going to go to Gene Hackman. He was the star of this movie. Yeah, he suffered through it, but he was he was probably the best acted and the best well-rounded character, and I enjoyed every moment of him. Maybe it's because of Steve. Maybe not. But <laughs> he's the most memorable part of this movie, rewatching it. There's so he many is. tiny he moments, is. and you're just like, wow. Gene Hackman nailed this, and no wonder he got the Golden Globe, right? And I'm going to give the gold to Wes Anderson because this is his best movie. It's the only movie I'd celebrate. It's the only movie I would watch. And he he truly nailed it. This is the highest point of his career, in my opinion. I don't, I don't have any excitement to see anything he does next. I, I might challenge you, this. like myself, to go to watch another one one more time. So enjoy every, everybody happens. enjoy our Wes Anderson podcast because Nick just announced we will not be doing another one. <laughs> I mean, I make the final decision, right? I make the final three pick. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's true. And well, I, I want to give him love. If I though, just give him he, nothing but Wes Anderson choices. I mean, <laughs> how many times in a career, like think of it from an athletic perspective, right? You're a professional athlete. You only win one Super Bowl or NBA finals. And sometimes, and was, sometimes yeah. you shit the bed while in your, while in your last tennis match and, uh, yeah, right. Because exactly. your sister just got married. <laughs> and shows up with her new husband. <laughs> so you have 72 unforced heirs and take your shoes and socks off on the court. <laughs> and it's completely obvious to everybody why that happened, except for everybody that was there. Um, exactly. I had, <laughs> I had a lot riding on that, both emotionally and financially. <laughs> well, now that... Well, now that now that Nick's medals took longer than the actual Oscars, let's jump right into Jeff's midnight ponderings. Jeff, what do you got for us this week? I've only got one. Where are the Tenenbaums now, and how are they coping with the pandemic? <laughs> Great question. This is good. This is a good. Uh, just Margot and uh, is she with? Uh, are her and Richie shacked up Ben's, together? And are they in quarantine together? Well, yeah. Chaz and the Chaz and the kids have been on lockdown in a basement for almost a year now. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> like, I don't even know if they're getting groceries delivered. I don't even know. He might have had food stored up they're in the bunker somewhere. wiping everything down if they are. And that's a big <laughs> So true. Uh, so, I was think- so I'm up last night and I said to myself, God, if this was a Shakespeare play, is it a comedy or is it a tragedy? And I couldn't decide because I think Wes Anderson turned it into both. 
That's what's and I was curious it. what you guys would think. I, th- I was curious if you guys would agree that it's both 100% a comedy agree. and a tragedy. He is one of the only filmmakers I know that could make a movie about broken family disillusionment where a it's character a goes to commit suicide literally halfway through the film and make it fucking hilarious. Good point, Jeff. There is and skill there. I'm I'm gonna lean towards tragedy, but I definitely see his side in both of it. Yeah, the, I mean, just the right from the get. I mean, the scene we forgot to mention the scene too. I think we kind of did, but the scene where Gene Hackman tells Angelica Houston that he's dying, <laughs> and we and we know that he's not at all. And it's just just these moments that we as the audience know that create this comedy that the cast that the the you know the the characters in the movie don't know. It's just it just creates this great dynamic like and nobody I, but um the new husband figured out that he was you just don't eat hamburgers all day long when you oh, have yeah. stomach cancer yeah. it took them getting mr. in the fight sherman. in the kitchen for him to realize good old that. mr sherman danny glover i love danny in this movie all right what else i have uh yeah is this so this is our this is most most people would agree this is gene hackman's last great performance yeah is this Gwyneth oh, yeah. Paltrow's last great performance? Ooh. Gosh, no. I think it might. She's good in Country Strong, but she no. doesn't. She doesn't do a lot, but lot after this film. So there's one movie you guys have probably never seen, where she does with Joaquin Phoenix. It is one of my favorites. So what I'm movie? I'm gonna I'm looking it just up. Cl- I'm just glad you didn't say Bounce with Ben Affleck. No, no, that movie was terrible. <laughs> I, I believe it's called Two Lovers, and I can't find it right now as I'm looking it, it up. It is I so, it. so Country good. Strong's good. But other, I was just like, wow, did her career really end in 2001? Yeah. Like, she's good in, I like her in Marvel. She's fine. But Goop, yeah, man. she does her part. Okay. It's all it's, about it's, Goop. It's two lovers in 2008. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that, think about that. That was 13 years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's all I got. What do you got, Mark? No, no, I just had the one. Nick, uh, you got any you got any Midnight Ponderings you were thinking about, Nick? No. This movie, I, I slept well after seeing this movie. Maybe it's because of the laughter. <laughs> I, I, I had, love it. I had one more. There was a family that uh, Wes Anderson grew up up and around that he based a lot of this film on, um, that he like hung out with like everybody in the family and all of that. Does this mean that Wes Anderson is actually Eli Cash? He could be. We, he could be. Because he ends up watching... being the successful one. So I was watching some interviews with Wes Anderson today, and he definitely had a little Eli Cash in him, so... I wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> which is it? Which is interesting. All right, yeah, that's all I got for uh, big Nico. Anything we missed? Things we may have missed? I don't have too much. We already talked about how this is the third movie him and Owen Wilson wrote together. But there's there's one thing that I found really interesting. Basically, Wes Anderson didn't have a setting for this movie. There was no time and no place, and I found that interesting because watching this whole thing, I found myself googling like, "Wait, is this New York? Is this is this really 2001?" And he purposely said that intentionally, and I thought that was part of his gold medal winning genius is that he didn't. He started out with an idea that he would, and then he took it away, basically. So yeah. we don't know. He you loves nostalgia. He loves nostalgia. So, so going on that note, so I had something that things we may have missed. I, I, I wanted to talk about the costumes. So the characters, they basically have uniforms for the entirety of this yep. movie. Yeah, they're almost always wearing the same thing. And all of the clothing is from the seventies. For example, Richie's tennis shirt and headband was yeah. made famous. Was made famous by uh, Bjorn Borg in the mid seventies. And Wes Anderson did this intentionally so that it would appear that the Tenenbaums are trapped in the era of their heyday. And that was his goal with this. Uh. While time, while time still moves on, the gravestone at the end reads two thousand one. Much of the setting, including the use of gypsy cabs and Green Line buses are also in keeping with this theme of trying to stay within the 70s. So I just thought that was an interesting note. And then uh, going back, I mentioned in the, the when I gave the music shout-out that he does the Charlie Brown music. Did you guys catch the Charlie Brown music? No. Yep. You know, so, so Wes Anderson loves the Peanuts. He's always... He um, he always tries to incorporate something regarding the Peanuts into his movies. Like Buckley the Beagle was a tribute to Snoopy in this movie. And the Christmas Time is Here is a famous song from uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. And Anything else, Nick? So, yeah. 
Basically, there was one line that Gene Hackman fought with Wes Anderson to eliminate, and it was the Coltrane line. And he came up with his own racial slur that made no sense to anybody. And really? Everybody, yeah, true. And basically, it got cut, but that, I found that interesting, too. So, oh, that is interesting. But the That's third thing is is that music is you guys talk a lot about music and I didn't want to mention it until now, but it basically drove the overall theme of this movie. And that was his the when he was writing this, he was thinking about the music kind of in a Cameron Crowe type of way. Mm-hmm. And one last thing too is that when him and Owen Wilson were writing this together was that Owen Wilson wanted to picture his own parents' divorce as as kind of the starting point of writing the script. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can dig it. I can dig it. And then my one other final note I had here was the the hawk that they used for Mordecai mm-hmm. in this movie. This is awesome. I'm so glad you're telling this was, story. Yeah. This is was awesome. kidnapped, was kidnapped during for the ransom. shooting and held for <laughs> ransom, Nick. What? Yeah. So production couldn't wait for the bird to be returned. So that's why at the end you get the bird that appears later in the movie and they're like has more white feathers because it's actually a different bird. And they totally like make mention of it by saying, "Oh, look at the!" They, they call out the fact that the feathers are different, and it's totally because they act, literally put a different bird in there because the original one was stolen and held for ransom. I have a late midnight pondering for that, Mark. Did uh, yeah. <laughs> did they really not be able to wait, or did they just not want to pay the ransom? Did I was Mordecai thinking the same thing. <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking the same thing. Did Mordecai ever get returned? They it did. <laughs> <laughs> the poor Mordecai. Or is somebody poor Morty. sitting, or is somebody have it as like a as like a party or parlor trick that people come over and they're like, you know, the Royal Tenenbaums movie. That's Mordecai, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the centerpiece of their house. Uh, I uh, I got a few notes here. The uh, the Chaz's kids are though are always wearing the red uh, sweatsuits, right? And yep. that's done very intentionally because Red always sticks out in a crowd so that he can find him. It goes along with the whole safety theme. Yeah. And that was done intentionally. J.D. Salinger's characters in the 1961 book, Franny and Zoe, inspired much of the child prodigy material. Uh, surprise, surprise. Wes Anderson loves J.D. Salinger. And you can see a lot of... Uh, Holden Caulfield and his version of New York in this film. Uh, Orison Welles' 1942 film, The Magnificent Ambersons, is almost arguably, the Tannenbaums is almost arguably a remake of this film. Everything from the house to the kind of dysfunctional family is pulled from there, and Wes Anderson admits to it being a huge influence for this movie. In Margot's birthday birthday scene, Houston's hair is caught on fire from the birthday candle. Uh, (laughs) And Kumar Polina is credited with saving her hair and extinguishing the blaze before Houston was seriously injured. Unreal. Pagoda saving the day. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's why maybe that's why they keep him around. Him and him and Bill Murray, the heroes of the I was gonna say him and Bill Murray. Yeah, that's right. And I'm they also make... wondering. I'm also wondering if Pagoda does coffee on the set. Like, is like Wes Anderson's personal coffee guy too, since he was apparently in his coffee shop in Dallas, Texas. But uh, final thoughts. I'll go. This is Wes Anderson's best movie. It's his fucking Deer Hunter. I respect him more. <laughs> after, yeah, Deer Hunter. <laughs> that's wow. that's wow. life from Entourage. It's <laughs> <laughs> like whoa. All right. <laughs> Wes that's Anderson's a, Deer Hunter. All right, that's, that's one a, way to that's look at it. That's a line from Entourage. Uh, I'm Billy Walsh. That. Can we, we're quoting Nico for that for the rest of time. I love it. I love it. That Billy Walsh after Billy Walsh after doing Queens Boulevard was like it's my fucking Deer Hunter. But I, I do feel maybe we can make this a thing on this pod, the Deer Hunter. <laughs> I like it's that. A, it's his best movie for sure, and I love the rewatch. Maybe I'm underappreciating him, but this brought back memories of the early 2000s, which is a great period of life for probably all of us because we did. We were in college back then. It's when we were really just meeting and finding out who we were as young adults. And just rewatching that reminds me of that time. And that brings so much joy. And I'm so glad that we do this. And it was just a fun week to do this one. I agree. What about you, Jeff? Ah, this is one of the bigger flip-flops of my life from totally hating something to liking it. That doesn't happen very often. I suspected it would. That's the reason I put it on the list. 
I just wasn't ready for, uh, at that point in my life, I was not ready for Wes Anderson. And, and I'm so glad that you did. I'm so glad that... I figured, I mean, I love Moonrise Kingdom so much. I and, and enjoy all the rest of his stuff I've seen. So I knew that this had to be an outlier. And for whatever reason, I, I think I was expecting something different in the theater that day. And I just wasn't, because I had not seen Rushmore yet or Bottle Rocket before prior to seeing Tenet Bombs either. So okay. I kind of right. walked in not knowing what to expect. Yeah, I didn't see Bottle Rocket until years later. But uh, I saw Rushmore. I still first. haven't seen it. I need to I need to see it. Oh really? Yeah. It's good. It's good. You're so you're up, Mark. Final thoughts. Take us out. So some actors are just special, and Gene Hackman certainly falls into that category for me. He's just pitch perfect in this movie. He and Wes Anderson, they pulled off a fun little adventure that I still am not sure if it's a tragedy or a comedy. And kudos to Wes Anderson for 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 making me feel that. And regardless of of that, though, I think I'll, I'll revisit this film more frequently after our discussion and our, our trip down memory lane this week. And on behalf of Jeff, Nick, and myself, we want to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you soon with another episode of Movie Tales. Take care, everybody.